All right. Hi. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm here with Tom Herbert. He's a climbing nutritionist coach. He's been on the channel before. We've done a really long format style talking about nutrition for climbing. You can go watch that. I'll link it down below. It's very informative. I've had a lot of people message me about that. It's helpful. It's really great. Uh, today, we're going to do a little bit shorter format. Uh, Tom is going to talk to me about nutrition coming back from lockdown. I'm like a lot of people that I know. Uh, we, I wasn't as active as I like to be. I was running, I was doing some stuff, but um, during lockdown, like a lot of people, I put on a couple kilos. My nutrition wasn't always in line with what's optimum for climbing. I've come back to climbing and I'm a little couple grades out of tune with where I was before. So I'm trying to kickstart things, get back into things. Um, and Tom's gonna help walk me through a couple strategies, hopefully, to do that. Um, and before we start, you can find him at useful.coach. He's also got a podcast called Climb Sci, where you dive into the science behind uh, climbing nutrition, everything to help you optimize your training and your goals and your performance. So, Tom, <laughs> that was my intro. <laughs> welcome. Welcome back. Hi, hi, hi. Long time. Long, long time. time. How are you doing? Like, where's it been? I'm good. I'm very good. Uh, when was the last time we spoke? Maybe two years? Was it two years? No, it can't be two years ago, right? No, I, it's, it's probably been like a year or so, yeah, something honestly. like that. Yeah. You know, I looked at that video and I, and I was blown away. I think the last time I looked, it was like 200,000 views or something. Now, I'm no, I'm no social, social media person, so numbers like that seem a lot to me, but yeah. I think it's, it's over 400 now, which is weird because oh, really? that was one of my... That was one of my earlier videos and it was just kind of one of those those things i was trying to get go to a trip and i wanted to, to like cram it was one of the last minute idea that That's just kind right. of propped up and it, getting in touch with you was really important for me because i knew i was i wasn't where i needed to be to be in shape to go like climb my first v7 i've done more than that since then but um like that nutrition advice and, and, and the getting me on track was really helpful for me to do that in such a short period of time. Yeah. Now, like I should tell people too, that you don't normally work like that with clients. That was because I asked you to do that. Yeah. Uh, normally you work with clients over a longer period of time. Um, and, and we're going to be doing something a bit longer format, but uh, you help them, you help people break down what they eat and, and, and strategies for, optimizing training and, and really reach their goals. And it's, I think it could be, I, I think it, a lot of people might look at it and think, well, this can't be real, but it's just, I think it's phenomenal just how much nutrition and how we feel ourselves actually feeds into our performance and a drastic change that people can make by just changing what they eat. Yeah. Uh, and I, I imagine you've seen that a lot with, with people you work with, because you work with top climbers, top athletes, and then just an amateurs like myself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So there was, I mean, there's two things. One, one was, yeah. When we'd worked together, it was just like this, you said to me six weeks, I think. And I was like, okay, here's everything. And I think if you, yeah, if people go back to watch that video, especially the one that we did the call together, I basically just dumped information onto you, boom. And you just kind of went on your way. Um, that's certainly not how I work with people. So I work with people normally for three months. And the reason I do three months is that it's a nice time to get to know with somebody. Um, and it also allows them to plan, you know, most climbers who are coming to me are coming to me because they have, you know, they bought tickets to go to Spain to do some project that they're working on. 
And so what we normally do is a book, you know, six months in advance or something so we can start and then work up to that point and we'll do different cycles. You know, we'll do a performance phase when they're training really hard and then we'll do, you know, we'll taper down and do like a dieting phase right up to the point where they kind of polish up and everything like that, which is the fun thing about it. Um, And then uh, inevitably, uh, and this is what I love about this coaching thing is that, you know, food and nutrition we look at it as uh, as a means for performance or, you know, getting healthier. But I'm telling you, nine out of 10 people who I work with, there's a lot of underlying stuff going on. Mm. So, you know, uh, climbing is a body weight sport, strength and weight ratio. We all know that. But what, what I see a lot, and this is what I really love about my job, is, is I, you, you start to unravel that there is body image stuff, that there's... Right there's concerns about things. There's people who are kind of restricting food or dieting because they don't feel good enough, either physically um, in terms of the sport, also physically in terms of just social, you know, uh, just how they appear in in public and things like that. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that within about two or three weeks, these things start bubbling up and we start looking at different things. So there's lots of, lots of levels to nutrition. And, um, and and that's gotta be why it's so important to make, bespoke programs for people right because i think the instinct a lot of people want and i and i know sometimes i've been messaged to ask like what's can you give me the exact tell me exactly what you've been taking tell me exactly what you've been eating um and i think we can give heuristics or or general advice and guidance but uh to your point right there like a lot of this comes down to the individual and and what your relationship is or access to food and, and and just how you treat it and what it's like in your everyday life that uh, it'd be nice if there was one size fits all everybody eat this, but we're, everyone is so different. So uh, it just, that's working with someone like yourself uh, will be the best way to optimize your goals. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think this is the thing is that, is that the weird thing about nutrition is on one level, it's almost a joke. And I, I mean that because, if you look at a history, if we stay within climbing circles, if you look at the history of some of the greatest sends in, it, these guys were, you know, drinking and smoking a joint halfway up the wall, right? Yeah. It's not a way. This is not some of them. Some, <laughs> but yeah. Of, yeah. Some of them. Um, you know, over time we've realized that this is not such a great way of doing things. Um, but, but what I'm trying to say is that on one level, the body is incredible with what it can get away with, with a really bad diet. Mm. I mean, it is remarkable really how people do what they do. I mean, I've had food diaries from some, some team GB climbers and I've gone, wow. Okay. That is incredible that you actually do what you do on that diet. Mm. And it's not that it's a bad diet in terms of full of burgers and chips and things. It's just, that it's just really not enough food and it's interspaced with, you know, Fredo chocolates, right? <laughs> so I'm just like, I think, wow, this is incredible. Um, so it's, on the it, other they're, hand, they're, they're, they're getting performance despite what they're, they're, yeah, they're eating. Yeah, despite being a, kind of like suboptimal. Yeah, okay. um, and then I have seen other climbers, some incredibly good climbers who, when I look at their food journal, I go, yeah, that's why they're really good. It's just like a diet and a culture that they've grown up in that is just packed full of like fresh fruits and vegetables. And like, it's just their home life has been so good in terms of 
how that has been that they've just you can see how that just augmented their lifestyle um so so yeah so uh, there really is not a there's not a one size fits all with people in the long term you can and i think we even did this on that show and even in the climb side podcast you know we give some general recommendations to people right. because in a sense that kind of general sense of how much protein you know like 1.8 grams per kilogram of your body mass that pretty much works for everybody the 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 the, the difficulty comes in what i see and what is my basically my business is looking at someone and saying okay for what you're doing you think that you're eating a lot but you're not actually eating enough and it's this enough which is the interesting thing and this particularly with climbers is because you know most climbers who are kind of invested in their sport not on a pro level but just a, a kind of a good amateur level they are doing maybe a minimum of three days a week climbing right so maybe like two days in the indoor gym and then maybe a weekend, right? So it could be three to four climbing sessions. And then no doubt they're doing two training sessions, right? Yeah. And then they're basically eating like an average healthy person, active person. Yeah. What I'd see is I'm like, you know that you can put another three, 400 calories every single day. And they're like, what? <laughs> and so what, what is, you know, what's the great joy is, and I was saying to somebody the other day, is that is that at some point I'm actually going to believe in the science of what I'm doing, <laughs> because what I do is I work with when I work with female athletes, this I find so fascinating, because I have a body of of experience that tells me when I give a, a, a female athlete roughly about 400 calories more per day, they feel better, they sleep better, they perform better, they recover better, they're happier, and they don't put any weight on. Wow. And what happens is that I is that I prescribe it and I get nervous. Even I've done this like, you know, 20, 30 times, I prescribe it and then I sit and I go, oh God, is this <laughs> going to be too much for them? And then two weeks later, they're like, oh, I feel great. I haven't put any weight. How am I eating so much? This seems like a huge amount of food, but why is my weight not changing? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> incredible. It works again. <laughs> so, so it's fascinating. That but is fascinating. 400 calories to put that in perspective. Is that kind of like... I mean, it depends on the meal, but it could be like a full meal, right? Yeah, it's basically, yeah. I mean, I had one climber who was 600 calories more per day. 600 calories more per right? day. That's insane, right? If you, yeah. and what is amazing about it is that, and this is the, 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 the thing that is quite tricky to understand, is that we, un, we understand in a general sense from the public the kind of calories in, calories out balance. Yeah. And that is true in terms of the, the body is, a, is an energy reservoir if you put more energy into it, it, it will have to try and find a balance. But if you tip it too far, it doesn't matter how much heat it expends and how much mm -hmm. activity it drives you to do. At some point, it just has to store this energy and it stores the energy in different ways, right? If it's, if it's glucose, it will generally go into your glycogen stores in your muscles, right? Yeah. Once that's filled, it's got to go somewhere. It can't just disappear. And so what happens is that that's where you start building up body fat stores right 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 and what is amazing though is that we understand that on a on a simple basis but what i what i see and what is like my primary work is that you have active people who are fairly good lowish athletic body fat levels they're eating a certain amount of food and they're maintaining their weight right 
or maybe they're a little bit higher body fat than they would like for a climber, um, but they just seem to be sitting at that weight. And the first part of my coaching is basically to give them what I call performance targets, which are normally about between, depending on what they were eating, between sort of 300 and 600 calories more per day, right? And it's mainly carbohydrate calories, but depending on where their protein intake is. And what is amazing is that you would think, well, hold on, if they're weight stable and now you're giving them 600 or let's say, well, basically about 3,500 calories more per week. Yeah. Surely they're going to put more body fat on, but they don't. And that is the magic of it hmm. is that it's like you have a body that for some reason, well, not for some reason, but for multiple reasons, just slows itself down a little because you're slightly under eating for what you need okay. in terms of expenditure. Yeah. And so what happens is when you start giving the body basically exactly what it needs up to kind of as much as you can, the body just says, Oh, I have all this extra stuff to do. Yeah. And then it just performs well, it recovers better. And so there's, this is the, the balance bit that a lot of people misunderstand with the body is hmm. that there is a point. If you feed your body too little, it will find an equilibrium and sit there. Hmm. And if you feed it too much, it will actually slow down its build. And this is the other thing that's very interesting is that, it, is that if it is just an energy balance thing, people who are obese or morbidly obese yeah. should be three or four times their size. But we don't see that. So the and body is responding constantly to... Yeah, there's this kind of interesting margin that it just fluctuates mm. in and out of. If you feed it constantly huge, huge amounts, it will, ex it will expand and expand. But it doesn't expand at the rate that you would think it would be. People are not turning into hulks, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eating 4,000 calories a day. But that's also because, you know, say somebody who is maybe morbidly obese or something and sitting in like 120 kilo, 140 kilo as it grows, right? And then this is not big muscly guys. This is kind of, yeah. they are moving and they're shifting and they're expending three or 4,000 calories a day just to move around. Sure. So this okay. is complete. And then what you see on the other side is as the smaller you get, you're obviously expending less. less. And so there's this massive shift. Hmm. And we don't you know, keep talking about this, but <laughs> the, whole, the whole, what I'm saying is the interesting thing about it and, the, and working with somebody, and the yeah. reason I work with somebody for three months is that the first part of it is to try and find this, is what actually happens if you stop dieting or stop weaving in and out of your energy intake as mm -hmm. a climber and spend two weeks where I've jiggled my calculations to find the best estimate and i'm saying go and eat this yeah let's see what happens with your weight and let's see how you feel and if your weight doesn't change then we'll put a little bit more in until we start seeing this little creep up and as an encouragement to people who are listening mm -hmm. this is one of the things i would encourage you to do is maybe stop dieting for for a while even if you're slightly higher body fat than you think and do a kind of reset for two weeks and maybe the lockdown has been a kind of reset but it's been a reset without you really understanding what you're doing. So for people on the other side who might have put, started to put on more weight during lockdown. Yeah. Uh, and really because we've been stuck at home, we haven't been able to get to the gyms. The gyms have opened up, I think just over two months ago. So mm. here. Um, 
I think a lot of people that I know and have seen and talked to at the gym, they've come back, they feel out of shape. They feel they've put on, I know some people put on like 10 kilos, um, five, 10 kilos, and uh, they feel heavier. And they're kind of on that other side where the lack of exercise, lack of uh, getting to the gym, have just kind of accumulated to a point yeah. So now they they need to the jump start and, and and get back into things so they get back into to shape. Are, are there good strategies for those people to get themselves back to where they were before before lockdown? Yeah, I think the easiest way to do it is that I think what we we tend to see is that if you're a very active person, um, you develop a kind of eating habit, the type of foods you like, the size of the portions you have, some of the snacks you do, and what happens is that many times when something interrupts your activity you don't tend to change how you're eating. Yeah. And so what happens is that you just tend to eat like an, an active person and you're not really active, right? So that's what would be the creep. Um, and the other thing as well is, you know, with all of this stuff about COVID, there has been this kind of underlying stress and anxiety that is a very real thing. And it m- manifests in different ways. I've spoken to people who suffered from depression for the first month. I suffered from depression for the first month. I didn't know what to do right? Mm-hmm. Um, that will change your eating habits. For some people, that will stop them eating because they like to have control. Mm-hmm. You know? For yeah. others, they will turn and we generally turn to things like that are sugary, starchy. You know, I think I ate more bread and toast <laughs> yeah. in, during this period than I have in my, in my life. Yeah. I don't know why. I just was like, oh, fresh bread. I'm just going to eat this. This is really nice. Yeah. Um, which is not necessarily a problem, but it does become a problem when you realize, okay, there's, there was an imbalance here in terms of the amount of energy that I'm coming in. Yeah. Um, so in terms of strategy, I think the first thing to do is to look at your lifestyle and look at the habits that you're currently putting in place and just notice and do a kind of pantry clear. Like mm. if, you, if you've gone into a habit of maybe having more snacks at home to watch you know, TV and things like Netflix and stuff like that, that would be the first thing I would go and look at. Like, Go watch some things, finish all p- Pringles, finish all your stuff, yeah. get that out of the house so that you can kind of get back into gear. Um, if, you're, if you have noticed that you're eating a lot more carbohydrates but haven't started back into your, your regular activity schedule, mm-hmm. then that would be the thing is to try and – it's like a, almost like a taste habit thing. So if you're used to having like maybe big three big carby meals a day mm-hmm. and carby snacks – then try and see if you can just like switch it around and maybe say for dinners now, I'm going to do maybe a big salad and a kind of, or lots of steamed veg and, and a portion of protein or something add. Yeah. So look at, so before we even looking at numbers or things like that, yeah. just look at your high, your lifestyle and just try and kind of be kind to yourself and think, okay, I've got to try and change the new habits that I had built up over lockdown. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, yeah, start bringing in back into your, your activity. And I think for people as well who are not, who are struggling to go back to the gym and also, and I had this myself, is there may be some sort of apprehension about going back, putting on a vest and going climbing again because maybe you put a bit more weight on or you're feeling heavier or, you know, your climbing ability has dropped by two grades, yeah. right? I think the main thing is to, is to realize that unless you're one of the few people who built a climbing gym at home, (laughs) which some of them have been amazing. uh, 
everybody's in that same place. There's going to be some outliers. There are always outliers in the gym. Those guys and girls who are just, you know, they're just cool and they've just managed to have <laughs> navigated through that lock. Somehow they did it. I yeah. wasn't one of those people. I was definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, be kind to yourself and don't worry too much about that and just enjoy the process of starting again. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I, I've, I committed back in the, in the last two months to two days in the gym again um, in mm-hmm. terms of the climbing gym and I'm starting to ramp up, you know, going to the, to the normal gym in the morning. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, all the numbers are low. It yeah. feels hard. I feel yeah. heavy. Yeah. I don't feel as fit. I don't feel as conditioned. Um, but just enjoy the process of discovery again and moving your body and things like that. And then, yeah, look at, look at, look at what you can move out um, and notice your weight and use that as a kind of proxy I think that's that's really good advice. That the strategy of keeping things out of the house is one that I use all the time. Yeah, I just, that's big... I, I just don't buy it. And and as if it's not there, it's not in the back of your head, and that it's in the the pantry somewhere, and then you can go get it. Um, and the carb thing, I want to touch on the carb thing for a sec because yeah. I, I have mentioned in videos before when I say I, I'll say things like low carb, like I've dropped my carb, and some people think that I'm doing keto or something right. really extreme like that. But I want to clarify if anybody's watching, when I say low carb, I'm, I'm, it's kind of a relative term because I would eat before like an entire bowl of pasta or giant plate of pasta. And, and when we had talked before, it was about getting rid of some of those uh, uh, like white pasta or white bread and, mm-hmm. and switching it with rice or other types of ways of getting carbs. So it's not such a carb focused diet, yeah. um, but carbs aren't evil and they're not they're not bad for you and and they're great for energy when you're when you're working out Um, yeah so so one of the things that we'll do together is is that i will manipulate carbohydrates for what i call normal days which Mm -hmm. really are just days when you're not doing any specific what i call muscle taxing training so you know if you're doing just a fingerboard session or maybe like a core core work or something like that then I, I typically call that a normal day. And that, that carbohydrate intake is what I would call moderately low. So you're looking for, the, for, for somebody, say, from 50 kilos up to 80 kilos. It could be like 100 grams to 150 grams of carbohydrate, right? Yeah. And then the fat tends to make up the rest of the energy. And that fat intake could be about 90 to 120 grams of fat, right, with the protein. So that's a normal day on a, on a, on a training day, you know, and it can be anything from, uh, you know, resistance training, TRX session, something that requires you to be powerful and use your muscles. Mm-hmm. We're pretty much doubling that carbohydrate intake. Okay. Right? And so there's this notion of what I call rock and rocket fuel, which is yeah, like, yeah. if you if you need the power, you put that high energy, you know, uh, food in. And so that's really the, the manipulation. For some clients, I will go, f- which would be typically low carb, mm-hmm. and that would be like maybe 50 to 70 grams of carbohydrate. But that's yeah. very few people. Um, yeah. um, and that's, yeah. that's kind of bordering on that ketosis state, isn't it? Yeah. keto For keto, you're going to have to be, depending on how active you are, if you're a sedentary person, keto for you basically means like you just cannot have carbs. Right. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. it's just basically whatever carbs you get in like green veg, you know, like broccoli and beans and things like that. Um, but if you're more active, you can go up to maybe 50 
even some people can go up as high as 100 grams, but that's you're looking at cyclists, right? Because, and the, and the reason with, we, you know, the easier way to think about this without getting too sciencey is that you're just burning off the carbohydrate, you're burning off the glycogen much quicker. And so yeah. you're putting yourself in a carbohydrate deficit very quickly. Whereas a sedentary person, you know, like for instance, if, my, if, my, if I had to get my mum into ketosis, mm-hmm. it would be more difficult. You know, sure. it would basically be, mum, you just cannot have any carbs at all. Yeah. Which would be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> for, for people like some of my friends who have put on quite a few kilos and their eating habits have kind of changed or maybe stay the same, but they're not exercising as much during lockdown or maybe right now. Do you find that doing a food diary and tracking what you're eating is really helpful for people to visualize just how much they're taking in? To give, to give people listening or watching right now uh, some reference, I'm starting to work with Tom right now, and he's got me doing a week diary of what I'm eating. I'm logging everything I'm doing. And it's using this, this online app that makes it really nice because I just start typing in the thing and it brings it up. I don't have to, do, look, I don't have to look things up myself. And it's, it's illuminating just how much it, how things start to add up. And uh, when you think, I, you don't think that maybe you're having that much, but um, I'll look at some days where I'm just at home on the computer and I've had uh, way more than I thought I was eating. Um, and maybe I'm recovering from working out the days before and I feel sore or whatever, and I'm just eating a bunch. But um, do you find that's helpful for people just trying to get their nutrition on track? Maybe they've never had it, had it really not, uh, nailed down. Maybe even before lockdown, they're still tr- struggling to, to get things right. Do you think uh, taking a diary and, and really logging things in creates a nice framework or visual for people? Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, in general, <clears throat> depending on where the person is in their lifestyle, if, if you were to look at your life and you realize that you are eating, you're just eating a lot and you're eating quote unquote unhealthy foods, mm-hmm. then without even looking at anything in terms of calorie counting, just removing those things, you will lose weight. Right, it's gotcha. almost certain. But most of the time you have to have some level of accountability because we're very, we, we are very, um, we're not very good at actually under, understanding what is the energy density of certain foods. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you know, I, there's, a, there's a donut shop near me uh, where I do work in the office. And it's a dangerous place to work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I will sometimes go and, well, not sometimes, I go a lot to have a coffee and a donut, right? And this little thing, you think, wow, I've eaten this thing in like a minute and a half and it's delicious and it's light, right? Mm -hmm. But when you actually look at it, if it's a kind of glazed sort of cinnamon thing, this could be about 400 calories, right? Now this, if you were to have that as part of your overall intake for the day, like maybe take that as maybe part of your portion of carbohydrate, maybe like 25% of your carbohydrate. That can be very useful, right? Because Mm -hmm. you've had your literally cake and eat it, right? Yeah. But where it can go wrong is that we can kind of underestimate these small little things. So what will happen is that you will, you have your normal days eating or rather up to that point, let's say up to about lunchtime, you've had your normal intake and then you think, oh, you know what? I'll have a donut. And then you have the donut, you get on with some work, and then you go home and you make your normal dinner. Mm-hmm. But you, what you don't realize is that donut really has just pushed you over. 
or at, le at the very least put you into energy balance when you were wanting to diet. And you're thinking like, why? I thought I was dieting. And you're like, well, actually, no. Yeah. Um, so what, what, so what hundred percent of happens when I ask somebody to keep a food journal and I specifically say, do not change any of your habits when you're keeping this journal, because I want to see what you're doing. People lose weight. Mm. Right. Because mm -hmm. what they're done is they're suddenly like, Oh, this thing I'm eating now, I need to log. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, it actually makes you, it makes you take a second guess before you eat that. Yeah. Or like when you're going to put some sauce on or put some oil or whatever, you're like, Oh, okay. Before I was just taking a chunk of butter and throwing in the pan. Now yeah. I'm like, Oh, how much butter is this? So yes, I think, I think if you really are serious about trying to do fat loss, I think it is nearly impossible to do it without some level of accountability. Um, what I ask clients to do is not log the whole time. Cause to be honest, I couldn't do that. Even if you paid me. Yeah. Um, though some clients actually love it. I've had people who, who've been logging for three months. I mean, I don't know how, but they just like that sort of thing. Wow. Um, but most of the time as I ask people to, to, I give them targets, fat loss targets. And I say, use these tools like my fitness pal and stuff like that to, plan ahead and say, okay, so what are the meals that I typically have? Mm -hmm. This is what I typically have. So let me just throw this in a kind of hypothetical day. Oh, wow. Okay. I wasn't getting as much protein as I thought I was. Oh, wow. I'm getting a lot more fat than I thought I was getting. Right. Mm -hmm. So what you can do is then you're like, okay, so maybe this breakfast that I'm going to do, maybe I need to actually change this some way. Or actually I thought I could have this, whatever this snack, but actually this snack is taking me over. So yeah. that's something to remove. Or then you start switching. So you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, if I'm going to have maybe a steak, actually I need to cut the fat off the steak because that's just pulling me out. Or for instance, with your diary, I saw 73 grams of cashews. Yeah. <laughs> that was on my outdoor climbing days. I just had like yeah. nuts and I'm just like, now that's fine. Right. Because nothing. yeah, in terms of the context of it. Right. But for instance, nuts can be a real thing for people is that they think because they are healthy and they're full of vitamins and they're tasty, mm. but mm -hmm. you can easily get four or 500 calories just in, in nice, fatty, delicious cashews. Yeah. So that's where, yeah. So again, really that's what it is. It's just accountability. It's really, really yeah, I think that's, a, that's a great point. I remember last year when I was, trying to cut really quick. Uh, I quickly figured out how much my regular thing, uh, things I was eating, let's say like, I have a protein smoothie thing every morning. Um, and I knew exactly how many calories that was. And, and then I don't really have to think about logging that every day. I just know, yes. boom, 400, whatever calories. I've got that for breakfast. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people that have no problem eating the same things. Yeah. Uh, it's good to have diversity though, and to get those nutrients and everything like that. But it's nice to know that once you have a certain meal logged in, you can kind of gauge without thinking about it too much, how much you're going to get from that. Yeah. Uh, we, the other video we did, it goes into all this depth about nutrition and supplementation. If people want to watch that, they can get all the details on that. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask you, are there, is, is there maybe one or two that you would pick from that? I know, maybe getting all of those supplements uh, doesn't really work for everybody. It could maybe for cost reasons or something like, or yeah. um, it, are there some that you prioritize that you'd say at least get enough protein, at least get enough this right. or something. Yeah. Um, so, so it's interesting. Um, 
you know, when you, when you have, when you record things and put them online, yeah. they're there. They're there forever. And people will quote you and <laughs> bring Fortun it up. Yeah. Fortunately, the conversation we had, there's nothing wrong with the recommendations I give there. Yeah. Right. So I can blanketly say that. However, I've changed my mind over supplementation since. And not because there's anything wrong with supplementation, but I think um, there's actually, there, it's less efficacious than you think it is, mm. right? And the way that I think about supplementation now is actually trying to improve people's sleep first. Oh, really? And recovery. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when I talk about things like a whey protein supplement or a plant-based protein supplement, nowadays I don't even call that a supplement. I call that basically a food okay. because unless somebody has maybe a kind of a, a stomach issue, I will off the bat recommend purchasing a, a, one of these supplements. And the reason being is that it's just a very easy way to get protein in, um, into your day without having to purchase more food mm -hmm. and also to, to help you increase meals that are slightly low. So for instance, you said you have a, a meal that you typically have for breakfast. Many people will have a set thing that they just love eating for breakfast. And maybe it's some sort of like oatmeal or something like that. Without having to suddenly rehash their whole thing, their whole day, I can quite easily say, you know what, buy yourself a good protein supplement, just a plain whey protein or plant-based one. And then what you do is for breakfast, you don't have to change your breakfast that much. Just have a protein shake with your oatmeal. Right. And straight away that meal has become a much better meal. So protein supplements, I kind of say is something that you can add as an adjunct to other meals. You know, I think if I remember we did beta alanine and creatine, I think yeah. on the, the thing, yeah. the beta alanine, I think there's more data coming out to show, to show that this probably isn't doing that much. And again, with these sort of things, the supplements are, nowadays are not that expensive. Um, right. but the question comes in with beta aniline is I wonder how many people can actually tell that it's doing anything. Okay. Now that doesn't mean that it's not doing anything and it doesn't mean that it's harmful or it doesn't mean that it couldn't be efficacious. But I think what, what happens with the kind of thinking about supplementation is that straight away people get excited. And I even remember looking through the comments on that video is that for some reason people think that food is not doing that much. Like it's mm -hmm. useful to have to eat healthy. And then the things that really push you over the edge of the supplementation and I promise you it, that it really doesn't like they really do so minute. Now mm -hmm. something like creatine and we discussed what it does in that previous video. So look at that. Yeah. That could be beneficial in terms of really just getting one or two more repetitions out in the gym, right? Yeah. And if you're putting in extra repetitions every time you go to the gym, then yeah. you're going to get better, right? Yeah. Uh, I will it, say on, on the creatine front, I, it's one of those supplements that I did, like I 100% noticed uh, a difference, at least for myself. And I think you've pointed out before that some people just have natural base levels that are, are like varying uh, mm. already in your body. Um, yeah. And it can, yeah. Some people are non-responders. I worked yeah. when I worked with a very high end team GB guy, 
it had zero effect on him. Yeah. And so they said, don't try it. Don't bother trying it. I mean, don't carry on using it. For other people, it works very well. For myself, it, it, um, I didn't, can definitely feel it. I have much more consistency in the gym. But for me, it changes my weight quite dramatically. Two kilos. Oh, okay. Like within two just weeks, like it just, my weight goes up. Now, I don't, I don't feel bad for it. Yeah. But I, whenever I notice it on the scale, I'm like, wow, like, have I really put on that much weight? And I'm like, no, you haven't. You're just, you're fuller because it's right. hydrating to the muscle, yeah. which is good because it makes you fit into your t-shirts better if that's your thing. <laughs> if that's what you want. Actually, yeah. this, this might have been something that happened to me because I was running a bunch during lockdown. I, I had a shoulder thing. I wasn't doing any pull-ups and stuff. So I was running a bunch and my weight had been, I don't know, it was like 72, 73 kilos. And I put on a couple, <laughs> maybe it's because I started taking creatine again since coming back yeah. to climbing. But yeah. So, um, yeah, so from, from that point of view, like, so yeah, creatine, obviously, as we've spoken about, is that that can be a negative for climbers, is that there is this thing that basically, if you get more hydrated, that your strength to weight ratio is going to change, but you should have a little bit more power. So creatine is something you can experiment with. Creatine, yeah. interestingly, though, is, is, is also have a, has a level of health benefits. Again, if I could get my mum to take creatine, that would be awesome. But she's not a fan of, of these sort of things. But there is enough data to say that, you know, as we get older, creatine probably becomes more important. Um, but high-level climbers, mm. maybe they'll, they'll position it in a, in, a, in a hard training block to get the most reps out, and right. then you can pull it out towards, you know, when you're going to do a project. Um, other than that, so I focus now on really, um, I'm a big fan of, glycine mm -hmm. um so i think we mentioned that in the podcast is in the in the video yeah but basically um i'm i recommend to almost everybody about five grams of glycine before bed and that just seems to help almost everybody with just a deeper sleep mm. um and then taurine which i think we mentioned briefly on the other one yeah um that's involved with so many other pathways and basically two grams before bed seems to also help with that and also both glycine and taurine work on um, the pathways that are involved with anxiety and things like that, which okay. is why they can help with sleep, but also having glycine and taurine during the day um, can actually sometimes help people with anxiety. So you can actually do, you know, uh, you could take five grams of glycine and, and two grams of taurine for breakfast. It doesn't make you sleepy. That's, that's okay. But you can okay. experiment. You can experiment with that. Um, uh, but what I'm what I'm saying is that if you can think, if you can have the mindset rather of supplements to be performance enhancers, because to be honest, there really isn't apart from caffeine and creatine mm -hmm. um, and illegal substances. There isn't any performance drivers. Okay. But if you can think of supplements rather to think things like vitamin D, you know, we've been stuck inside for a long time. Yes. Stuff like that. That is more important quite easily you can get a sort of vitamin d supplement of about 2500 iu um uh that was a, a would it be useful thing to do and then a kind of an omega-3 supplement mm -hmm. so either a fish oil or rather you know i recommend people to have maybe one or two cans of sardines per week <laughs> i won't be one of those people but i can yeah <laughs> or there's an or there's an algae supplement that you can have that will give you give you omega-3 but I'm really very low now in terms of, I don't, I've, I haven't recommended beta aniline to a climber for almost a year. You might've been the last one. I oh, did. really? I'm still taking it, <laughs> but I've got, I've got a tub of it. So I'm just like, yeah, I might as well 
Might as well take it. But um, I mean, but yeah, I think the big thing is think for, for, for folks is really like there is, I promise you, I promise you, promise you, there isn't anything that's going to make you better in terms of a supplement. What will happen is that if there is, if your diet is poor, then, and, and say you needed some vitamins that you're not getting from food, yes. then the argument is for that. But the problem is, is that's not how you fix it. You fix it by falling in love with eating more vegetables, okay. right? And the same way that you will eat cookies if you have cookies in your pantry, right? If you actually go and buy vegetables, you will eat the vegetables. So one of the things I, I, I do myself is I have a big sort of glass Pyrex tray on the bottom shelf of my fridge. And what I do is whenever I buy vegetables that normally comes in plastic packets, open the packet and tip all the vegetables into the big thing. A bit like you would have a fruit bowl, right? On your, on your countertop, have a vegetable bowl in your fridge. And what it does is that for some reason, mentally, when you go to prepare food, you take out this big bowl and mm. you've got peppers and cucumbers and tomatoes and mushrooms and, and it looks beautiful, right? Yeah. What it does is it, it, your brain just says, oh, take this, chop it up, put this in your meal. Whereas if it's in a packet, you're like, oh, I can't be asked to open this packet, take the tomato out. I don't know why, but your brain is super lazy like that. So that's a good way to do it is think about that. Um, have a bowl of veg in your, in your thing. And you can see when it's running out and you're like, Oh, I need to buy more peppers. I need to buy more of this or whatever. So, yeah. And I think we're, I don't know about other people. I know myself, I'm very habitual in that once I, it starting is the hardest thing. Yes. I like challenges that I do that are 30 days or whatever they are. And I, I know it can be catchy for YouTube, but I, I'm really conscious that it, it takes something like that to, to build a habit yeah. and, and this should be something that's more than just uh, for three months of a training plan. This is, should hopefully be changes that we make in our life to make, to give us a better diet and well-being overall should hopefully be, have longevity. Um, but I like that. I like that touch because I think we talked about this offline before where you can get a lot of these um, nutrients from what you eat. Uh, the trouble is that a lot of us aren't doing it, which is yeah. where supplementation comes in to kind of fulfill those, those gaps that we're not getting. Yeah. Uh, but if we can eat right, then we can avoid some of these other things and just get it from what we're, we're taking in. Yeah. And, and um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, and it's just, you know, it's not sexy and it seems boring. <laughs> and I, and you know, and there's this thing of like, well, surely I should just take this multivitamin because it's going to fill in the gaps and maybe more of a certain vitamin is better for me. And it really isn't the case. And that's the, that's the unfortunate thing. And yes, multivitamins can be a good multivitamin can be useful. You know, certainly for people who are maybe eating less of certain foods that are going to give them things like zinc and copper and things like that. Um, but what you don't understand is it's like, you couldn't just have like a, an isolated whey protein as your primary protein source. Mm -hmm. Like you would get sick. And the reason you would get sick is that you're just missing things, multiple different things, choline and taurine and methionine and all these sort of bits and pieces that you won't get with an isolated protein source. And it's the same with vitamins. You can't just take, you know, extra of something because what it does is it causes an imbalance somewhere else. And the great thing about fresh foods is that they get bundled with all these other things, which science we keep discovering are doing more and more cool stuff 
yeah. right? Like your, your vegetables don't just have vitamins. They have all these polyphenols. And the reason that the color is the color is the things that's what makes them healthy, you know? And so there's all these just weird packed in things that if you have a diversity of these things, actually it makes you, it makes you healthier. So, mm. um, and it's also just a good, it just creates, you know, one of the, what I've heard once somebody say, one of the healthiest things you can do is learn to cook because really? it, just, it just opens you up to not only having time for yourself and enjoying that and mm. actually having almost like a meditative practice where for once you're just doing something creative and you're learning something and you're enjoying it. And if you're with somebody, you can, have a shared experience and then you get to enjoy it. That's a great mm. thing about cooking. Yeah. But also you then have control over what you're putting in your body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. I like to throw in a podcast, go into the kitchen, yeah. just make it's it a nice, <laughs> yeah. you're going to have to share us. Uh, you're going to have to share some, some recipes with us that I can link down below. Oh the man. Tom, yeah, everybody Tom's asks. favorite. <laughs> it doesn't have to be yours. It could be one that you use online. I've, uh, maybe spark some ideas for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this has been good. This was going to be a short one, but yes. there's too much useful information. I'm sorry, people. I'll try and put in some, some time notes down below because uh, maybe it can help people navigate it a bit. There's one other thing I wanted to touch on. The sleep thing is really important. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed with myself, I work at a computer all the time and, and I have flexible hours. And sometimes I find myself working into the night. And maybe some other people do, you, do you have a strict recommendation with people to get away from screens at a certain period of time? Cause I know that sometimes I'll be, I'll be working, I'll be on the computer. It, it's midnight. It's close to one. Uh, I start to go to bed and then it just takes me forever to, to yeah. get to sleep afterwards. Do you have any protocol that you recommend? Yeah, I, d I do. And I'm, you know, I'm talking if I, you know, to have integrity here, you know, you can see the dark rings under my eyes. <laughs> you're, not, you're in the shadows right now. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, there, if I can give you an, an optimal thing is that the easiest way to think about all this stuff is that our bodies have a circadian rhythm. Mm. We are supposed to be creatures of the day and we go to bed at night. And we see this even in terms of how hormones are secreted in and um, into, our, into our tissues, into our bloodstream, and also how different things happen, right? And when, and when you disrupt this cycle, it really doesn't lead to health. So what you've got to try and think about is that you should be eating and doing stuff during as much of the daylight hours as you can and then as you get towards darkness and towards bedtime, you want to start tapering that off. And one of the most helpful things to do is to send strong signals on either of these points. So for instance, food, energy, bright light, get outside if you can, or have bright white. You know, this thing here on the side of me is a yeah. big SAD light for that very purpose, right? And then as you come towards the evening, you need to try and dim your lights try and stay away from screens as much as you can because it's that white light that's coming in you can have some apps that will put a kind of a filter on mm -hmm. like that. Um, but also try and make a ritual of slowing yourself down some of the best sleep i've ever had has been when i've come into my room an hour earlier than i go to bed 
which might be sort of like maybe 10 o'clock and yeah. I put a podcast on, I put a small desk lamp on in the corner. So it's, my room is kind of this almost like a, it's a candlelight. Yeah, right? sure. Candlelight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I just do either some stretching or maybe some foam rolling or some like light yoga or just lie on my back and just listen to the podcast or, and then what happens is that you can then just literally turn the light off and just slip into bed and your body has had an hour where it's just slowing everything down. It has a strong signal that actually it's time to turn off the worst sleep. And I'm sure everybody's had this is where you have something that you're worried about. Right. Right. Yeah. And you get into bed and, and your body, your brain's like, Oh, I don't need to think about the body. Now I'm just going to think about this thing that is annoying you or yeah. you're worried about, and you just don't sleep. Um, and so, yeah, you need to be careful with that stimulus. You know, if you're, if you're staying up, and you're going to be playing some like intense computer game or watching some intense action movie, you know, uh, and then going to try and go to sleep. This is just not helpful. Um, yeah. And then on the other side, I actually, I, I even think I've changed my mind about, for instance, things like fasting and intermittent fasting and things like that. And I recommend people not to skip breakfast okay. because you want to start the day with a strong signal that this is daytime. This yeah. is when the clocks of the body start. And so if you want to practice sort of time restricted feeding and all that, I say shift it the other way. So, mm, so start earlier and end earlier. Yeah. So you have, basically you have your dinner earlier so that you start your fasted period overnight sooner, but that all that all comes into context of where the person's training and all that. Sort of right. Stuff. Yeah. But, but yeah, I really think, you know, um, it, it, like no supplement is going to help you recover better than, sleep consistent if you get an extra let's say a good a good quality half hour more sleep per night every day of the week mm -hmm. promise you you will be able to climb more and recover better and climb more and get better um, but i know i know that it's it's one of the hardest things to change um, right well it's like it's like food <laughs> it's not it's not the sexiest it's not always uh, thought about first but it can go a long way uh, I had one other question that came to mind as we were talking, um, alcohol. Oh now, yeah. Before I know when I was trying to do, when I was trying to cut down a bit, I would have, I switched from drinking beer and I'd have just like scotch if I was, was out drinking, Right. but I don't drink that much anyway. So, um, it's not such a big deal, but I know it's, it's a big part of people's lives <laughs> and, yeah. and being social and all those things. And, and, uh, do you have any recommendations? Do a lot of the top athletes you work with, do they just, are they just, do they not drink at all or do they? Yeah, I mean, I see, I don't really see that much actually. Um, hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, it's normally maybe the weekend with, with, with friends, you know, after a climbing thing, maybe they'll have a couple of beers, yeah. but they're not, I don't see, I know, I never see somebody who is a regular, you know, a glass of wine or a beer in the evening. Yeah, and the, yeah. and the clients that do come to me and I notice that on the profile, they have a, maybe a glass of wine in the evening. That's actually one of the things I first look at. The first thing I look at is whether or not they have a cup of coffee in the evening. Right. right? That would All be my impact number. sleep, right? If I can give you one thing like out of this whole thing mm -hmm. is that if you're having a cup of coffee, let's say after two o'clock, try your best to get rid of that thing. Okay. I promise you that will make an impact on, on your sleep. And I know some climbers who will 
have a cup of coffee at like five, six o'clock after work to go and climb in the gym. And I'm telling you, get rid of that caffeine and replace it with some sugary carbohydrate. And that's much healthier for you because it won't disrupt your sleep cycles. Right. Um, the caffeine has a half-life of like six to eight hours. Okay. So it hundred percent will interrupt the quality of your sleep. Alcohol is the same sort of thing, not the same level, but what we, what we see from research is that if you have a, a glass of, of wine or a beer or something like that, and some people are different because they metabolize alcohol different, but in general, having a alcoholic beverage in the evening, though it makes you, it increases the, or decreases onset of sleep. So you may fall asleep quicker. What it does is it interrupt, interrupts the cycles of sleep. Right. So you don't actually have that quality sleep that, that you need. Okay. So that stuff in the evening is important to get right and kicking out. But in general, I think we've got a couple of research papers now that show that regular alcohol can interrupt, for instance, muscle protein synthesis, which could be recovery. So, you know, I'm a big person for social, the social dynamics. So if you're going and having a great climbing session and you want to go out and have a beer with your mates, then, you know, feel free to do that. But if you're training seriously and you're ending your session every time at the pub with your friends, then you're probably pulling a percentages of what you could get. And that's where you've got to balance between, you know, making sacrifices for what you want. Yeah. Um, similar with food, you know? Yeah. Great point. Great point. Uh, Tom, this is amazing. Uh, I hope people appreciated all this. I know I did. <laughs> I think it's really going to be half an hour. I, think <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, before we were planning, I was like, I think it'll be, we'll do like a 15 minute video, something like that. <laughs> but you know what? It, it's great information. And if someone who made it this long, then they, they were enjoying it. And that's good. Uh, you can find Tom at useful.coach. It's his yep. website. Uh, you're on Instagram at usefulcoach. Yeah. Um, you got a podcast. You can, yep. he's a very busy man. So yeah. he's got a lot of clients, but if you want to work with him, you can do that because you work with people internationally, even though you're based in London. Yeah. So it's all, it's all online. And um, the big thing I say to people is that you can book a start date for either one of the one month coaching or um, the three month coaching way ahead of time. So if you've got, if you've got something that you're planning to do, um, ping me an email and say, you know, could I start in February, March, right? And then you can book a place for that. And at least then you know that you have that. Because I don't work with many people at the same time. Yeah. Because I like to, to help people very with, you know, basically I call it unlimited support. So, you know, um, so yeah, have a, have a look at that. But. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of help. And yeah, I'm getting into it right now. Again, like a full, full three months with you. So it's really exciting. We, we started things off and I, I'm psyched. We can't travel right now because of COVID. It's all these things. But you could find so much, in, hopefully, in your own country around. Yeah, I've got yeah. some, some domestic goals that I can still go do. So we're going to work on that. We'll have some more stuff coming. Uh, but thanks. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining me today and for talking. Cool. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Bye, everyone. Bye, Tom. See ya. Bye.